Warning, the cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the, tri for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through so that we can try to identify the problem and then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors. And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well and to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there, it grew. And I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. 
Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 72, titled Through the Ringer, Part 1. So I interviewed Azrael uh, a little bit ago, or I don't know, a couple weeks ago now. And the episode that you're going to hear today is going, is going to be the first part of the interview that me and Azrael had. And it's going to be talking about you know, his CSA trauma. Which, if y'all know what CSA means, that means childhood sexual assault. And his military experience, some Southern history, I think some gay history on top of that as well. Uh, religious abuse. Things of that sort of nature. It's going to be a bunch of very, very different topics. Kind of like how me and Amber had on our interview as well. Y'all heard a bunch of different topics we talked about as well. You know, you start with the trauma and talk about how different things affect you in life. And it's the same way. These These interviews, they're not these formatted cookie cutter interviews where I'm going to ask these scripted questions. They're pretty much off the fly, you know, like, Hey, what's this mean? What's this about? As if you're having a conversation with somebody. Cause that's what I wanted. I just wanted to, I wanted to have a conversation with somebody one-on-one and we just share it with the world. And that's what a lot of these interviews are. And I just, uh, you know, I said from the very beginning that I'm here for all survivors and I am because I will say this, Azrael is is a very unique survivor. I've never met somebody who was a military vet, drag performer, um, with a rebel flag tattoo and a southern history buff. Never met anybody that was like that. Very unique person. Very unique. And we, you know, in the sec in some of the stuff that happens and some of the things I listed, they're covered in the first part and some of them covered in the second part of this interview. So Stay tuned next week to hear the whole complete thing. If you want to wait a week, just wait till next Friday. You can hear the, hear the whole thing. You know, I haven't heard any complaints yet about, hey, Jeremy, why you, why you break up these interviews? Well, the biggest complaint that I've ever heard was that a lot of people don't want to sit and listen to a podcast for two hours straight. So I break it up into hour chunks because, and really even I think that's too long because a lot of y'all, you know, some of y'all have these hour-long drives to work. Some of y'all are truck drivers. Some of y'all are just at work listening to these episodes and everything as well. Or at home listening to them. And I know, two hours to dedicate yourself is a long fucking time. I get it. Like, I there's look, I, I don't think I could listen to a two-hour podcast. So I make it to where it's, like, manageable. It's in, it's in good chunks. And if you got any other suggestions, let me know. Because people do let me know stuff. I hope y'all do too. Uh, uh, the fan, you know, the, 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 not fan base, but the following is growing. I got to say congratulations to Amber. Uh, she did a phenomenal job on the interview. On top of that, also sharing it out there. This is important, y'all. Share these episodes out there to, to your social medias. Let people know that there's a story to listen to. The problem I have, the biggest problem I have is, is that not a lot of y'all are sharing these podcast episodes out. And... There's some that are, and it's growing. That number is growing, but not like, not all of y'all are doing it. I, but I, when I see the ones that share it, especially my guests and everything like that, my my interviewees, uh, it just pops off, it, and it goes, and more people listen to your story. So, if there's a favorite episode you had that was like a really good interview, share it out. Just share it. I don't care how long it could be. It could be from last year. It could be six months ago. I don't give a shit. Just share it out there and let people hear these stories. It's the only way this thing's ever going to grow. That's all we can do, right? 
I don't really have too many announcements, so I'm not going to really, I'm not, I say I'm not going to have an outro, but I, so I'll just, I'll just say this right now. Uh, if you go into the, to the description of the podcast and everything, of this episode, you'll see something at the bottom and it'll say support this podcast. If you want to, you don't have to, and I know money's tight with everybody right now, including my own damn self. If you want to support the podcast, I know there's like a $1, $5 or $10 or or you know, ninety nine, four ninety nine, and nine ninety nine, like a uh, price and everything to support each month. You don't have to. My all my content is free. I will tell you that. But if you want to, if you really want to help, you know, and you want to support the podcast, that helps pay for marketing. If you really want to help and do something that's a free option, I think that's even better. Share it out. Just share the episode out. That'd be the best thing you can do. You hit that little three little circles that are connected right up there in the uh, in the episode and you you press on that and you copy the link and bam you can put it on your facebook your insta your uh your your i guess now called x i don't know hell put it on all the damn socials i don't give a shit put it somewhere you know just share them out i'd be much appreciated there's a facebook group as well so y'all can stay connected on facebook and we could build our community up together that way as well. I'd really appreciate it. I think it would be wonderful and great if y'all wanted to come in on this community and help it build it out and we all interact with each other. I mean, that'd be awesome in my opinion. And, yeah, I'm on TikTok. That's about it. That's all the, that's all the announcements I got, right? Support the podcast, Facebook, TikTok. Share the podcast out. That's all I can ask any of y'all today. Um... If you know any shirt makers, let me know. I need a shirt maker. That's it. All right. Enough rambling on. I understand y'all want to just hear the fucking interview. I got it. I love y'all. Y'all be safe. Take care. Here's my interview with Azrael. Hey, everybody. Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. And today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Azrael. Azrael, I want you to go ahead and just start with your story, man. Well, like Jeremy said, I'm... Azrael, I've been through the ringer. <laughs> so, kind of my story, when I was younger, living in Arkansas where I grew up, home life was, wasn't was too bad. I mean, we grew up out in the sticks playing outside, which was fun. And then, at about eight years old, uh, was the first time that I was assaulted by my older sibling. And uh, went on for five years. And, you know, growing up in the Bible Belt, you know, so many people are like, well, why didn't you pray? Why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? I did. Nothing happened. My only thought was to either end him or end myself. And, you know, it wasn't until I was 13 I felt safe. And, and that's a sad, sad fact that somebody that young has to wait until they're in their early teens to actually feel safe and away from a monster that should have been helping them realize who they are and be a role model versus a monster. So what happened at 13 to that where you finally felt like you were safe? I was taking out my issues that I was going through on my younger brothers um, via violence and anger and you know, stuff, and my parents had enough, and with it, and I, they put me in a treatment facility and stuff, and 
I was finally getting help, and that's when I finally told. Did they ever know about it between the ages of 8 and 13? They had my mom more so than my dad because my dad did over-the-road trucking, so he wasn't home a lot. My mom had suspicions, but couldn't quite put her finger on it because one day me and my older brother just got into a very violent back and forth. Mm-hmm. And my mom, because I was never really a violent person as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, even growing up with Marines, I was never really violent. I was more of the bubbly, outgoing, artsy type. And so, like, I loved Halloween and I loved, you know, doing art projects. And I royally still love making music. So it was just, uh, you know that certain things like that my mom was just like something's going on I don't know what but something what was their reaction when they were I mean did were you were you able to tell them or was the people at the treatment uh, facility the ones that have to tell them well actually the way they I mean I I kind of said it in my own way but the way they actually got the truth was they had him investigated and he failed a liar detector test and it all finally came through. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was a relief, but also I was very angry that somebody didn't like just flat out ask. So it was just weird. Plus um part of what makes it hard too is the fact that uh, kind of backtrack a little bit. At six years old, I knew who I was and like who I loved and things like that. And the way I put it together in a six-year-old brain was, okay, I like girls the way my dad looks at my mom, but I also see the way my mom looks at my dad, and that's how I feel when boys like that that's the way i put it together in a six-year-old brain you know and so part of what made it hard too was the fact that being somebody who was effeminate and took more after their mom and was a little more girly than than you know than boys than than boy right um, you know, I, I felt like in some ways that was the reason I was attacked. And so there was always this self hatred of being that way and feeling sick that I, it was my fault. I mean, I, I know now and through treatment and stuff that it wasn't my fault, but you know, when the world tells you, oh, you need to be more manly, you need be more masculine, need more this, that, and the other, but yet here you are, this you know, this little effeminate boy who would really like to say, "Hey, I like other boys," you know, and then that happens where you get attacked by somebody. It's like, okay, was it me being myself the reason I got attacked? Like it, it. That's a question that still to this day haunts me, and I've never gotten an answer to. That I have a better relationship with my brother now 
the one who attacked me. But at the same time, there's still things that I want to ask him that I haven't had the courage to ask because I'm like, how do I bring this up without opening a, a crap ton of old wounds? Yeah. That it's uh, kind of sealed in a closet somewhere. <laughs> yeah. How did he go to prison? Or and if he did, how long? I do know he did time in jail. Um due to restriction on the access that I had because of being his victim. Um, I don't know. I gotcha. Um, they kept a lot of that out out of my purview just because you know, my only thing was, okay, he got busted. I don't care what happens to him. Like, honestly, I didn't care if somebody in jail found out and he, you know, he got a poor man chippy. Yeah. I, I really didn't. You know, and there's still parts of me that kind of, I wouldn't say hate him, but definitely still despises him. Yeah. But there's parts of me that see the the person that he's become, and it's like, okay, you are way two different people. Because the the one I knew is not the person standing in front of me now. Because I hadn't seen him since I was thirteen. Yeah. And I didn't see him until like six years ago when my brother passed away. And it was like night and day. It was like literally two different people. I mean, I still had some anger towards him, but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Because yeah. there for the longest time, I was like, if I ever see him, I'll kill him. Like th- those were my honest thoughts about my my adoptive brother. Um, and, and I'll get more into that later. Um, but when I saw him at, at my brother's funeral, there was something different about him that actually changed. And I know that's rare to say about somebody that did that to a sibling. But, you know, when when your blood relatives like that, sometimes there's there's a difference in somebody that you can pick up on. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still was like, uh, you're still the monster that I fear in my dreams. But I could see something different within him. It, it, it was really weird, and I can't explain it. But there, there was something different. He wasn't the same monster that I knew back then. Do you think... I'm, I'm not but, sticking up for him, don't get me wrong. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Um, uh, do you think maybe once you saw him and you saw that, there was, that he was different that that hatred kind of quelled away a little bit and kind of went away and you, you, you saw him in a different light. Is that my, what maybe might would have attributed to this, you know, this feelings you have that. I think what it was, was the fact that my, my buddy, my brother who was three years apart from me had passed away. I think I was more focused on being there for that than I was worried about my own anger and hatred towards him. But after talking to him and getting to know him that he is today, I think in some ways it 
It didn't fully get rid of it, but it definitely wasn't as as strong. If that makes any sense, like it, it yeah, it was, it was still there, but it wasn't like okay, I'm I still want to rip your throat out. It was more, I still want to beat that little crap out of you, but there's something different. I can't put my finger on it, but it's a good difference. But I still don't like you. <laughs> did you, you know? did did you go and sit and talk with him during the funeral or anything like that, or or after the funeral? I, I, I've talked to him here and there, but more trying to rebuild a relationship after Josh passed because I don't want because the gods forbid he passed away. I don't want there to be that regret that I didn't give myself a chance to rebuild a relationship because, you know, with, with all my anger issues and stuff when I was younger, I didn't get the chance to tell Josh I was sorry before he passed. And that's a regret that I'll live with with the rest of my life. So it it was it's more a, a backhanded way to try and heal what yeah. part of me is it was damaged by him, but also still not necessarily put anything past him because I I still don't think people that do that for that long repeatedly can ever fully change. I I just think there, there may be circumstances or whatever that force them to alter their behavior, but I still don't put anything past them. Never have never. So I had a lady that I interviewed a while back early on in my podcast and she went through something similar. Um, her brother, you know, uh, raped her and everything like that when she was a child and she ended up getting sent off to a troubled teen industry place. And I remember talking with her about it and she had, she had kind of a similar experience with you. Like you had, um, she ended up forgiving her brother and trying to, trying to make things, trying to figure out the reasons why, and have those conversations with him and everything like that. And, you know, for a lot of people, whether, you know, doesn't matter what your faith is or what your background is and everything for some, you know, you're going to, when you go through something traumatic like that, I've, I've noticed with people I've talked to, especially when it comes to, you know, um, sexual assault from siblings and everything, you want to, you want to forgive that person in order for yourself to heal. Right. Like how you were saying, it's like a, like a kind of a, a, a backhanded way to, to heal and everything like that. And you try to find some way to move forward in life, not really condoning what that person did, just trying to figure out like, can, can you move on and can you move on past what happened? And that's what I think a lot of people try to do is they'll try to not really, not per se forgive their attackers, but they do it for their own mental health mental well-being, their own state of mind, their own, their, their own, their own suffering that they, that they trying to get past. Yeah. Well, and, and some of that too is just, you've seen on my, on my TikTok channel and stuff. And I have another one that's a little more fun and bubbly, which is what I try to be in general. Um, yeah. You know, I hold zero punches when it comes to, you know, those 
those particular types of people um, just yeah. because of what I've been through and I've and like the one that I sent you, you know, and tried to get you through you know backdoor channels to to find any information on like I I I don't care who you are you know if you harm a child especially in that manner the gods are setting it out and I'm coming for you like I yeah. will find a way I don't care if it's through Norse talk through you know you through you know other channels like there's there's ways to to find information especially in this day and age yeah. where once it's found we hold zero punches like that whole Alaskan Viking kid oh yeah yeah uh, for, him, for, for the audience well, for for the audience that doesn't understand, that doesn't know, because there are a lot of people that that follow my podcast that aren't from TikTok. So on TikTok a while back, about maybe two months ago, I think this was, uh, there was a guy on there named, uh, yeah, two or three months ago. I know this was after the Jupiter thing that I went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Alaska. Uh, what was it? Alaskan. Alaskan Viking and then he changed it to Alaskan Viking chief or something like that. It was, it was, he, he went through a couple of different names and everything. Basically yeah, people found out. Something. Yeah. Yeah. People found out that, uh, he was on the sex offender registry and he was trying to build up a platform on there and everything like that. It was for some pedophile charges. And so, um, you know, of course, people on TikTok, especially pedophile hunters, when they find out that you're on the sex offender registry and that you're a pedophile, uh, they're going to do whatever they can to run you off. Because for one thing, on the oh, terms of services, of it, you know, you're not even supposed to be on there when, once you're a convicted sex offender. And, and two, you don't need to be on an app. That, yeah, because that's an app that was originally made for children. And so they, they do everything they can on there to protect the kids. And it became a big fiasco where a lot of different creators, especially from the Norse pagan community or Norse talk, uh, was on there, you know, trying to make sure to get them off of there and everything. And, uh, and you know, the, yeah. and, uh, and I was I was kind of involved in it, too, to where I was still going through the backlash and the account violations from the Jupiter thing that I didn't jump in on there because I didn't want to get my account banned and everything like that. So I was just, you know, helping people out how I could, sharing the information with other people and everything like that and other groups that I knew. And then, you know, everybody working together eventually got them off the platform and everything. I think they even got the cops involved out there where he was at, at in uh, Oklahoma is where they found him. But I know me, Cryptid, um, and several others of the, of the Norse community on TikTok went after him pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, me, and we pretty much shut him down every chance we got. And that's, uh, speaking of cryptid, that's how I met you was on one of her mm-hmm. TikTok lives and everything. And, uh, I got to talk to her because I've, I've been knowing cryptid for a while on TikTok, but she never, you know, it was one of those things where I'd follow her, but I guess, you know, being busy, having a bigger platform, you know, you don't get, you don't want to get a chance to follow every single person that follows you. And she knew about me. And everything like that. And we got to talking and then you came on into the boxes and everything like that. I, I guess right when you found out what I was doing, what I do and everything. And we started talking to each other and uh, get to well, hear about I, your story. 
I've been friends with Crooked for quite a while, and I found her through Norse Talk and stuff. And she and she's also a, a practicing witch. And me being yeah. somebody that combines both witchcraft and Norse mythology, I was like, "Oh, this person's fun." And yeah, we we're actually we we're even friends on Facebook now, and we're really good friends. We talk quite a bit. Um, yeah, and she's. She helped me through some stuff a while back in September, uh, late August, early September. I was in a very <laughs> almost defeated spot. Yeah. And uh, the, luckily through um, some friends and stuff via TikTok on, on another profile, um, I, 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 they, kind of helped me through because uh there there was some other stuff going on that ties into the military topic later but um yeah no i i try and not not really dwell too much on it because i mean that was it stopped over 22 years ago you know and the part of me that is trying to heal now through some of the videos and through you know, just some of the some of the things I've done is that scared, you know, broken little effeminate pansexual boy that, you know, felt like it was his fault for what happened and, you know, basically the, the Christian world telling me that, oh, you don't deserve to live and you're gonna burn in hell because you're different. And growing up in the Bible Belt, if you didn't go to church, get married, have your 2.5 kids, you know, they, it, it was almost like they just didn't care if you existed. Yeah. And that's, that's the part now where it's been a really hard struggle trying to not necessarily get back to where I was when I was that kid, but get back get some sort of internal peace with it and just yeah. be able to be who I want to be. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, a lot of people that go through some heinous things like that as children, you know, they want to try to recapture that part of their life to, to have that, to have that peace of their inner child and everything. And, try to find, like you said, some type of healing. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the church and everything like that, I mean, me and you have talked about it a little bit, you know, I, I broke mm -hmm. away from the official part of the, the Christian faith a, a, a while back because I saw the, I mean, before, before I even looked into the whole, you know, uh, the, the pedophile and, and molestation cases and everything like that, I just saw a, a you know, and I don't try to down any really anybody in Christianity because there are good, I know there's good Christians out there and I don't hate God. I don't hate Jesus or anything like that. I just I've seen him have piss poor representation on this earth and been used to just make a buck. And to me, that just never was right. Never sit well with me to 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 pimp out Jesus for a fat bank account, basically, is what a lot of a lot of preachers have done over time. And, you know, people have forgotten what it means to really to be Christ-like and to, and to love people and everything like that. And I've really have been on this path for a year now and thought so much about it 
because honestly, when you really think about Jesus, whether people believe in Jesus or, or they, you know, or they don't and everything, at least, you know, the people for the ones that don't at least just take them as a character in a book. Right. And just look at what the book that we've been given, just look at what he's done in that book. Right. In those stories, which was to teach people to, you know, love people and to, you know, feed the hungry, you know, help the sick, help the poor, help the needy, be a, you know, be a light in somebody's darkness. I mean, you know, protect people who are all that. Right. And all that is for new Testament Christians, which they're supposed to be. If you look at old Testament Christianity, it was wrath, rage, murder, you know, things like that. And it, it was really funny speaking of Christians and using them for hate and stuff. What turned me away from the church, um, well, Christianity in general, was a couple things. Um, and then we move out. One was I was going to Greensboro Church of Christ down in Jonesboro, Arkansas, where I grew up. Um, and this preacher, I guess, happened to see two men holding hands you know, being affectionate, no different than any other straight couple. Mm -hmm. And in the pulpit, he actually pokes fun at them in the church while preaching at the way they were walking and different things like that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And and I didn't say this out loud to him because then I would have added myself. But in my head, I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up. You're poking fun at two people that were created by the very God that you worship. Because we were all created in his image. So how are they wrong for one? Two, judge not that ye be judged, but yet you're sitting there judging somebody. Yeah. That, for one, was like, okay, I'm kind of done with it. And then this will bring us to being in the military and home life and stuff. Um, I was doing OSUT training for infantry at Fort Benning, Georgia. And for those that don't know, OSUT is one-stop unit training, basically from your intake to your graduation, you are at this one particular station for boot camp in the Army. They call it OSUT. Um, and we got, I think it was after our, our nine-week training before we started AIT or advanced individual training uh, we got a pass to go off base uh, so we were like in Columbia and you know places near Fort Benning because we couldn't go too far away um, we couldn't go to like Atlanta or some shit yeah yeah um, but I was at a Barnes and Noble and two books I found uh, one was, you know, written in the 60s by Anton Zander LaVey, the founder of the the Satanic Church in mm-hmm. California, which led to the whole Satanic Panic of the 80s, which was dumb when you actually look at it all. And then I found a book by an author out of New York named Constantino's called Gothic Grimoire. And it was for people who like playing with or worshiping darker entities or energies within the earth as a part of witchcraft. Okay. 
and it i i was reading uh i didn't actually buy the, the satanic bible by zander levay but i did read it and something in there actually stuck out at me to where i went and asked the chaplain this and he couldn't answer it and i was telling my wife about this today um in it because he was a part of the whole circus act and stuff you know before he became you know the way we know him now as yeah. the founder of the Satanic Church, and Levey would see these people. You know when when there was adult time, um, you know, out at the uh, out at the burlesque and the the strip and you know the different things going on. The strip club, the, yeah, yeah. You could say strip club and everything. Was over. And then he would see them the next morning, Sunday morning, sitting there worshiping God and asking for forgiveness. And then it would just repeat. And then the other thing is you have preachers that are protesting the soldiers going off fighting for their freedom. But then within the military, one of the jobs is to be a chaplain and pray for the soldiers. And I asked the chaplain, I said, okay, you have fellow members of, of the same religion and sometimes the same faith protesting us for doing what we have to do because they deem that us killing is against the Bible, which it says thou shalt not kill in the Ten Commandments. But yet we have to kill to defend freedom. And they're protesting us, but you guys are blessing us to go down range. How does that work? How, how do you decipher this. Now, I always and, thought... And it was, a, oh, it was an interesting ahead. dichotomy, though, because when you look at it in the Bible, you know, especially within the Ten Commandments, that is one of the Ten Commandments. But yet, as a soldier, when you are downrange in the heat of the moment, it is either you or them. And you had to violate that commandment. Because in that moment, I'm sorry, as a soldier, my thought is, I'm coming home. I don't care if what happens to you in your afterlife, I'm coming home. And, and, it, it, and that's what kind of put me more towards this pagan path. And then also reading the Gothic Grimoire by Constantinos, some, something within my soul actually clicked with the practices that he was teaching in that book. And it was just like a light bulb and my skull went off. And I was like, this is what's been missing. Yeah. And I've been kind of on that path the whole time since, since 2007. So mm -hmm. 16 years now. Well, I do want to touch base on a point. You were, you were asking a question about uh, why, so, so in the Ten Commandments, I do remember it's. I don't think it's do not, do not kill. I think it's do not murder, and there's a difference between killing and murdering. Murdering somebody on is the it, translation. It says thou shall not kill or thou shall not murder. Yeah, um, they they kind of flip back and forth depending on on translation or version of the Bible that you get, which is another problem I have, but that's a whole nother topic. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. And, and, and I got people that try to use it up interchangeably. I, you know, cause me, I, I know it's, I've always taught do not murder. Right. And 
I remember somebody was talking to me one day about murdering and killing and everything like that. And I was telling him, I said, yeah, it's wrong to kill and everything like that. And uh, because the Bible said, and, and he kind of stopped, he goes, no, it's wrong to murder. You know, if somebody comes to your house and tries to tries to murder you and your wife and everything like that, and you kill them in self-defense, were you wrong for doing that? No, you were defending your family. So, but if you go and try to kill some little old lady down the street, and take her purse and everything like that, you know, absolutely you're fucking wrong. And oh, yeah. people, people, and especially in Christianity, get that, get those too confused and everything like that so much because i mean you go look at the bible and everything like that too i mean it's it's full of war and and killing and everything like that and fighting enemies and everything as well i mean hell we got there's an arch angle um, an an archangel named michael who is the angel of you know warriors and soldiers and everything like that and defenders of the faith so i think in in some instance yeah you know like murdering is absolutely completely wrong killing not so much. It's always within context. You go, you get into the service. You're getting to the to the basically the one stop shop over there for boot camp and everything. You go on leave. You start going down the down a pagan path and everything like that. Uh, what was it like? You know, going back home. And I mean, did you tell your family that you that you became a pagan and you were going down this path in life, or did you just keep it secret and held up for a bunch of years? No, I when I went home after boot camp, I was more worried about seeing old friends, you know, spending what little bit of time I had at home. Yeah. You know, and I I built relationships with some of the people in the, in the, the Church of Christ there. So I went and saw them and, you know, said hi. And, you know, I, I met them because, I mean, they're, they're still friends. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, well, I got to my unit, which was the 42138 that I changed. I did get it changed, uh, on my dog tags, which was a pain in the butt and a bunch of red tape. And you think it'd just be a simple re-stamp a dog tag. No, not that simple, apparently. <laughs> um, but you know, and the thing is, you know, growing up, the thing what made it hard too to to really say anything, not just because of going to church and trying to fall in line and everything else. My dad being a Marine and growing up in the '60s in Arkansas, and you know, at a time when you know it it was you know God, family, country, you know, very much so back then. Um, yeah, you know it. It was kind of hard. Plus, I was still. I think some of it too is I was still finding my way because I I wasn't completely sold on it, but yet mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was really connected to it. Like, yeah, it, it was this weird like this fits, but let's do some more research before we officially cross down on it. Um. And then, and then, too, with, you know, some of the struggle, too, was I was still struggling with how to come to, even though I knew who I was as far as, like, sexual preference, being the fact of where I grew up and how I grew up with, you know, men are supposed to be men, you know, this, that, that whole super macho attitude of what a man was supposed to be. 
you know, men don't cry. Men, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, it, it was a very, very hard struggle to, to come to terms with everything as far as, you know, I'm struggling with my sexuality and how I want to come out. And, you know, plus I was in the military and in 07, don't ask, don't tell was still a policy. So there's that, you know, I found a new spiritual path, like mentally and emotionally, I had a lot going on between the two. So it was just more me trying to figure out how to mold everything together. Yeah. And and that's what made it difficult to really even say anything in general was the fact that I was still working through it myself. So how am I supposed to, oh, by the way, I don't believe in God anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's not necessarily something you just throw out in the wind and brush past. Right, <laughs> especially Espe- in the Bible Belt, as you yeah, know. yeah, especially growing up in a, in a in a lot of Southern Christian families, you just don't go out and say that. You could probably say, "Oh, you know, I just robbed a fucking bank." Before you say you don't believe in God, mm-hmm. you might find a little more forgiveness, right? Just a little bit, yeah. But but when once I got to my unit, that's when I was just like, you know what? I'm not. No, I'm done. I'm done with that. Plus, you know, like I said, from eight to 13, you know, I was going to church and I was praying and you know, this, that, and the other, and I felt no answer. You know, and even though there were technically opportunities for me to tell because I was afraid that, you know, he would find out and somehow violently attack me I didn't feel safe to tell so it wasn't really even like you know closes the door he opens the window there there was really none of that when you don't necessarily feel safe yeah you know and so that's that's kind of where a lot of this has led me to you know have a lot of the struggles that I have is you know between the world around me saying, oh, if you are this way or if you love this way or, you know, whatever, you're going to help. But yet those same people, and this is what I find utterly comical, are the same ones that are getting busted for crimes like what I went through. And it's like, so who's really going to burn in hell? The the person trying to heal themselves and be who they are that's been a struggle for the past 22 years or the person that used God to preach hate but yet is busted for being a kitty dealer yeah you know I've uh, I've asked I've asked preacher friends of mine a similar question you know I said how is it that because when they when we have these conversations, when I have conversations, especially with like uh, people that I, that I know and I can trust and we can have an honest you know discussion about it and everything, I, you know, being on this path and everything, I've asked a couple of preacher friends of mine the same question. I said, you know, how is it that somebody can go and rape children, right, and be forgiven and go to heaven, 
but let's say the victim of or survivor of one of those one of those pedophiles, you know, can end up going to hell for not forgiving their abuser. Mm-hmm. How does that how does that work? You know, how why is it like that? You know, why yeah. why is it that you know and, and you know, I, I usually get the same run the mill answer of, well, you know, the blood of Jesus uh forgives all sins and everybody, you know, it can be forgiven by you know through Jesus and everything like that. And I said, yeah, I get that. But when you create a, a space that allowed, because the problem with a lot of people, with, with a lot of the churches that I've, that I've come across, not all of them, there are there are quite a few number of churches. When you actually go and sit and talk to these preachers, the leaders of these churches and say, hey, do you allow convicted, you know, uh, convicted pedophiles in your churches, like people that are on the sex offender registry, allow, you know, in your church and they say yes, then how do you expect survivors and victims of rape and pedophilia to feel safe when knowing that there's predators in there, because a lot of them they'll go into Christianity because they know they'll be accepted, whether they believe it or not, they know that they'll just be accepted in Christianity. And I think it's the duty of any leader, any church leader to be a good shepherd and to watch over their flock and to protect that flock at all costs. And it might be hateful and it might be, you know, um, mean spirited to say we you know nobody should allow uh pedophiles in church and everything well you know i'm i'm more or less for the survivors than anything else i don't really care about the feelings of, of pedophiles and, and rapists and everything like that uh fuck them you know they shouldn't they should have kept their hands to themselves that's my right. viewpoint and this is where you know being raised in kind of a warrior mindset much like the the norse and the spartans um which we'll touch on on Sparta here in just a minute. Um, you know, it it kind of, in a weird way, kind of guided me to the to where I'm at now spiritually, because yeah. I grew up being taught like never start a fight, but you defend what you you defend your family and you finish one. You know, very much you're gonna learn how to fight, but only use it for defense and war if necessary very much a you know viking sparta mentality yeah and you know and then being being an actual soldier earning a dd214 even though don't ask don't tell screwed me because a chaplain asked if i was gay my dad always taught me that honesty is always the best policy regardless you know if it's popular or not and then one of the seven army values is honesty. And I upheld that and said, yeah, I'm gay. And it got back to my captain, which then led paperwork into me being honorably discharged from the U.S. military for admitting that I'm homosexual. And this is what irritates me, is the very people that I fought to defend are the very same ones that said I wasn't good enough to serve. And it's like, um, would you rather me serve and defend your freedom or in a state where I had nothing going for me, I was literally on the brink of being homeless and this, that, and the other, uh, you know, you would rather see me there versus serving my country and actually earning a living and doing something productive with my life. 
So I have felt firsthand actual governmental discrimination for being who I was. Yes. And being who I am. And that to me is the biggest hypocrisy of our nation than anything I've ever seen. Because I can deal with bigoted Christians all day long. Because I grew up in the Bible Belt with how much I went to church and read the Bible and, you know, all these other things that you're you know, good little southern boys are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I know the Bible better than most of the people that protest us at at gay pride events or LGBT plus pride events. And it it was really funny last year. We uh, there was this Hispanic guy with that old Leviticus verse of you know, thou shalt not lie with man as he lieth with woman and woman should not lie with woman as she lies with man verse yeah. and I was like okay you you and me are about to have some fun so I go over yeah. to him and I literally said what what makes you think God hates me because we were all created in his image right the first yeah. question out of the box and he's like yeah but uh, and I said the verse on your thing says that us being who we are should be a sin right and he's like yeah i said are your clothes made of mixed fabrics he's like yeah that's a sin do you like shellfish yeah that's a sin should we keep going and he had no response and it's like don't try and preach the bible to somebody that has been there and or tried to live it don't sit there and try and pick and choose what you're going to believe out of a book that wasn't even written during the actual time of Jesus. It was found that it's been written actually after his life by people. Yeah. It's you know, like, uh, well, there, there's another, there's, there, well, there's another thing too. I want to add to that before you continue on with it too. If, if you actually go and take a look at some of the, the how the Bible has been rewritten to uh, Martin Luther, he was uh he was the 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 German uh, reformationist and everything like that. Uh-huh. He, the um, uh huh. Yeah, the Lutherans, Lutherans and everything. Lutheran oh yeah. He, yeah. He uh his <laughs> well his Bible well his Bible w- was translated in German right and they actually they actually studied his his original Bible and everything like that. That verse in there about homosexuality being an abomination and everything like that. It's not. It's not not a true translation. It actually said that pedophilia was the abomination. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think originally because they because they have a different word for homosexuality and pedophilia in the German language. And it was the uh, it was the German word for pedophilia. And I think it said a man that lies with a boy, you know, it is an abomination. And so a lot of people forget that and I, and I think it was in the 30s or 40s is when it got translated from pedophilia 19, to homosexuality 1946 the word homosexual yep. was added to the bible just yep. shortly after world war ii yep and i always wondered about yeah. that too and everything do you think maybe it's because a lot of the war vets were coming to you know were coming home had all their trauma their ptsd and everything being shell-shocked and you know I don't know. I really don't know what caused the rise of of 
of you know like homosexuality in America, but around that well, time in the forties, it was it was apparently a, a big problem to the faith. Let's see. Here's the and thing. I, go ahead. Being, being homosexual or being a part of that gay community has existed since the dawn of man, because yeah. even as burly and masculine and war built as the Norse were there were still homosexual relationships within the Norse community. You look at, and this brings me back to Sparta, which is one of the most celebrated war cultures of all time, especially in America. But what's funny about that is the fact that during the Spartan time, soldiers had male lovers because it was thought that nobody would fight harder than somebody defending a person they love. So every single Spartan military soldier had a male companion. Oh, wow. Every single one of them. And yet the Spartan culture and that war mindset is very celebrated within the military within our, uh, our culture as a whole, especially in American culture. Yeah, but all yet, the alpha bros. The, yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah. yet it was one of the most queer military cultures in the ancient world. So being a part of that community is a long, long tradition it wasn't until the uptick of christianity and uh what what is it called uh the muslim faith um uh islam islam thank you i i knew the word for it i just (laughs) um islam that homosexuality became a problem and that wasn't until around the 11 and 1200s at the downfall and the start of the decline in the Norse pagan uh, and the Viking Age. Yeah, because plus they also had a mass. Did, did, didn't weren't they also being like hunted down a lot too, and everything the uh, pagan the the, the pagan uh, uh, tribes and everything like that. They it, were. It uh, was a mix. It was yeah. a mix. They they would hunt them down. Also, what the missionaries would do is they would adopt local symbols and customs into the christian faith yeah like uh, like like christmas christmas was initially the norse pagan tradition of yule and the celebration of you know a new a new beginning and a new year which was taken over by christmas you look at uh day of the dead was taken over by the catholics uh-huh um, and turned into All Saints Day and All Souls Day. But Dia de los Muertos, as it's properly known, is an actual three-day event in uh, Mexican and Spanish cultures that celebrates the life of the ones that passed on. It was a three-day event. And then you also had in other parts of the world, like in Celtic culture, you had Samhain, which was celebrated by the Druids, which were pretty much 
eradicated by the uh, the Pope Saint Patrick, yeah, Patrick, who became a saint. Yeah. And I tell yeah. people to, to this day, yeah, I don't mind wearing green or whatever because it's kind of a, a fun thing to do, but I do not celebrate somebody who massacred an entire group of indigenous people because of their faith. Yeah, because I do not uh, celebrate people like Christopher Columbus. Well, yes, he helped map a new way to the the Western world. He he was still because of the disease and everything else that led to the massacre of native tribes. Well, he was also raping women too and everything as well, if I remember correctly. He would go so and, and yeah. So as far as the uptick of gay culture within America after World War Two. It it wasn't really an uptick. It was just becoming more noticeable because yeah. you look at the end of the Civil War, there were many former African slaves or uh, other people that were queer that were actually some of the first pioneers into what we now know as drag or things like that. Shakespeare plays both characters in his play, male and female, were performed by men during the Elizabethan era. Not only that, uh, some interesting research during the expansion west with all the mining towns and the and things like that, there weren't a lot of women out west like the movies portray it. There were more men. And it's been documented that some of the men would take on female roles. What? Yes. No way. Uh-uh. Yes. You mean tell me there weren't no old timey uh, uh, saloon brothels and everything like that where you paid a where you paid old old uh, old uh, not as many as times any uh, <laughs> not as many as it was made out. Okay. Yes, there were some, but not as not the way they make it in Hollywood, where you have boom towns just full of these beautiful saloon girls, and all the men are straight. No, a lot of the uh, my, you got to think about it. a lot of those were in in a bigger town. Yeah, if they did have them, a lot of the men were out actually at the mining camps, which was probably a good day or two trip away from town and a lot of the men in the mining camps would fulfill the role of of being a woman cooking cleaning you know adult time you know things like that i didn't know that holy mm -hmm. shit so being and not only that you've had people of the lgbt community in every single conflict this country has ever had. Look up a book called uh, Drummed Out of Service. I believe it's the name of it. It talks about these different people that were part of the LGBT community that were in the military that got drummed out of George Washington's Continental Army that tried serving during Vietnam but were harassed and you know things like that. Heck, even 
as a vet nowadays, in 2007, I say nowadays, but in 2007, you know, there were certain aspects of myself that I couldn't really hide. And I, I took after my mom because she's the one that primarily raised us. And so there were a lot of times where I wouldn't even realize it, but I had more of an effeminate walk. And the sergeant said, men don't walk like that. You need to march and let, if you're going to walk like that instead. Literally said that to my face. Luckily, he was an NCO. Had he been an E4 or lower, I probably would have cleaned this clock. Yeah. You know, it's shit like that that makes it hard to feel accepted being being a part of the gay community and the veteran community. So that's going to conclude part one of this interview. Part two is going to pick right back up next Friday. So make sure you check it out. If you are coming in to support Azrael, just, you know, best thing you can do is share his story out there to everybody else that you know. And put it on your social medias and everything like that. That's the way, that's how this all helps. That's how this all grows. I love to see when, you know, friends and family of some of these survivors are listening to these these interviews and everything like that. Because it really means you care and that you really do support the survivor in your life. And that does mean a lot to them, you know. And if you're just, a, if you don't even know who Azrael is, you can go and check out uh, their TikTok. You know, his TikTok and everything like that. The, the link will be there in the episode description as well as my tiktoks and my facebook group so if you're not connected to any one of those go and get connected to it if you don't have tiktok i get it if you don't have facebook um i don't get that one but okay it's all good either way still much love to you and thank you for listening thank you for listening to all these episodes i know there's a few of y'all that are just they're hardcore listeners and you've listened to every single episode and for that much love and much appreciation to you. Thank you for that support. It means a lot. Anytime any of y'all listen, it means a lot to me. And I love the feedback. I, I do I always like hearing back when people say, hey, I just heard this episode. I just heard this one. It's starting to grow, y'all. This is starting to fucking grow. And it's a, it's a good feeling. I like it. I do like it a lot. I like the fact that other people are listening to Survivor's interviews. I didn't make this primarily for Survivor's to hear it. You know, I made this to help survivors share their stories to people to the world that don't know what it's like to be a survivor. So it's great that y'all share it to other survivors. I'm saying, you know, and that's not me correcting anybody. Share it to people that aren't survivors, that don't know what the hell this is like, that don't know what it's like for people to go through these things and to live their life because they need to know these experiences. I didn't, right? I was, I'm a blue collar truck driving guy. I didn't fucking know that this is the type of pain that a lot of y'all go through. I didn't know that y'all went through these mental prisons in life and y'all had these scars on your souls and on your hearts that nobody could see. I didn't know. So that's why I started this podcast and started doing interviews specifically because I wanted to, not only did I want to learn and know their story, but I think the world should know their stories too. I'm not the world's best podcaster. I ain't the world's best storyteller. I'm just a guy. And I know there's better people out there than me. So... I know that in my heart, somebody out there is going to be inspired enough to say, hey, I can do it better than that fucking guy. And I hope they do. I will say this on that same note. Good news is, is that this week I had a really good, sweet post that made me cry. Y'all, I fucking cried. I did. And then when I interacted more, 
I, you know, I even cried even more. Um, cause I just teared up at first. Amber, you know, a- Amber Domey, the one that I just interviewed that her episodes just dropped. When I told her that her, her first part of her interview is now like the, the number two most played episode at this point so far on the podcast, um, she made a little sweet post and she said that she's going to start her own podcast now and that she was inspired by me to start a podcast. And I got to say, that's a, that's a really sweet feeling to know that I inspired somebody that wanted to go into this kind of, into this genre and to go be a warrior and to go fight for people and to go try to go and, and look in the cases that need to be looked into. Um, she's going to be doing some great things in my opinion. I think she's going to go a whole lot farther than I will. And I can't wait to see how that, how that plays out and how that works for her. I, I just can't wait. I just, I really, I know, I, sorry, I get a little tongue tied. I can't wait to see what the future holds for Amber. And so that's going to be an amazing thing, y'all. That's going to be an awesome fucking thing for her. And my only wish for a lot of the, for all these survivors that I, that I interview, every single one of them, is that they find healing of some kind, that they, that they go in and if, and if they want to go use their voice to help other people, then that really makes it all worth it. It makes all the, the depression, the anxiety, the, the, uh, the, the, the night terrors I get and everything like that, that made all that shit worth it to me. So the love that I've gotten from survivors, in my opinion, is worth more than all the fucking fame and gold and clout in this damn world. Because all that shit is temporary. It fades away. When you actually have somebody whose life has changed because you decided to do something and do something positive with your life, y'all, it's a it's a different feeling. It just hits you differently. It, it just, I didn't think I'd have this kind of impact on people. I didn't think I'd have the impact to help people and to inspire them to have a healing journey or to inspire them to go and take up a cause and inspire them to go be advocates and or hell, even inspire somebody enough to to not kill themselves, you know. Like, all those things just give me some overwhelming joy. And there's so many other people to thank on that. You know, I, the, I mean, hell, Woody Overton, Jim Chapman, you know, Sabrina Young. Um, I don't think I can mention her name on here, but an ex-girlfriend of mine, the one that wanted me to interview survivors, told me that I needed to interview survivors because... She's the reason why I interview them, because of the fact is she told me that nobody that she felt and a lot of other survivors that she knew in this group that she was in said that um, a lot of a lot of people that don't experience this just don't give a shit about survivors. And I didn't, and I knew in my heart that wasn't true, because I gave a shit, I cared, and I know other people have too. Y'all just gotta make your voices known. The ones who are not survivors, make your voices known so you can, so a survivor can come to you. And you can love on them and support them. That's all they want. They just want your love and your support. They just want to be loved. They just want to have somebody believe them. And just listen to them. See what they went through. That's all they want, y'all. That's all they want. Give it to them. I I can't do it on my own. You know, it takes all of us. It takes good people to stand up. And there's a phrase that's very common with this says, when a good man stands up, the spines of other men will stiffen around him. 
So I might not be able to, you know, to affect the whole world, but I definitely can have affect the world around me. And so for those of you that listen, those of you that are that are active in this path and in this fight and in this war that, you know, to fight, you know, to protect children or to or to fight to protect survivors and everything like that and support survivors. Just keep at it on that one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of you out there that are just they're good people. I know you all have good hearts. Just keep fighting. Just keep doing what you're doing. Find your path, find your purpose, and just go into it and just do it one step in front of the other. You know, I'm I'm not the most smartest person in this path. I'm definitely nobody who's educated or qualified of anything. I'm just a guy who cares. That's it. That is it, y'all. So I know there's better people out there than me. You know, go out there and just do something great with your lives. Go, go be love to somebody. Change somebody's life. You might save them. You probably definitely will save somebody. If you do that. And you're going to feel better in the end for it. And there's people whose lives I probably have affected that I will never fucking know about. And that's great too. And hopefully it's all for the positive. You know, it's hope, hopefully it's for the better. But that's it, y'all. I'm, I know I just rambled on here for about eight fucking minutes. And <laughs> I just, uh, I just love y'all. Like, I just, I love y'all. Love all y'all. And I love all survivors. Might not agree with everybody's survivor, you know, with, with the politics or the religious or, or religious biases and everything like that of survivors. But at the same time. I love y'all, you know what I'm saying, like, I just, I, I love all y'all, it's, because what was done to y'all was wrong, and it was heinous, and it was fucked up, and nobody should have to go through that, especially a child, especially children, they shouldn't have to go through what a lot of y'all went through, and all I can do is just give you my love, if I could hug you, I'd fucking hug y'all, because y'all deserve it, you know, you deserve to have somebody care about you. And I hope you find more than just me caring about you. I hope you find a whole world of people that will that will care about you. And will love you for who you are. And celebrate you as a person. That's all I can ever ask for. I may ask for a lot more. But you know. In this, in this instance I should say. <laughs> so. I love y'all. Be safe. Sorry for that little beep right there. I didn't mute my phone. And now I've got a bunch of people calling me. But I want to say this though. Protect all children, even if they're not your own. And at the bowmen see, and the bowmen never forget. Much love, we must carry on.